0: This is UCD Business Impact. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, that was some campaign in the US. I think uh, over the last week or two, addiction to CNN should become, in my opinion, a, a bit of a treatable disease. I know far more That is healthy about the state of Pennsylvania, not to mention Allegheny County. I never thought I'd know anything about that before the last two weeks of US political history. Well, as things remain very fluid in the states, there is little doubt that 2021 is going to see a sharp change in political direction. As President-elect Biden gets ready to enter the White House in January, the inbox he'll find there is going to be very heavy and burdensome indeed. There's obviously pandemics, wars, and even nuclear standoffs are just some of the items waiting for him, not to mention what is going to be a very alarming economic backdrop. But I think one of the issues likely to define his term, or define his term in the White House, is climate change and energy. President-elect Biden has already found himself walking a very fine line on the issue of fracking, for example, during the campaign. But he does have a commitment that the US will reach a net zero carbon emissions target by 2050. And what we're all sort of asking is, how exactly will he get there? And can he preserve the political gains he made in those Rust Belt states I mentioned um, that he got from President Trump while also doing those big changes that he wants to introduce on the climate question? And that brings up the whole dilemma of how do you marry environmental protection and climate justice with financial discipline and the rules of the market? Or should we seek to balance those things at all? So my guest to help ponder over some of these things today is Dr. Julie Byrne who is a lecturer in finance, and she's also academic director of the BCom programme here at the UCD Business School. She's involved in two SFI projects in the energy area and intensively researches in the area of environmental finance and also corporate finance. And she has been looking at some of these issues of how you marry those two, what seem very different worlds, and bring them together into a harmonious relationship. So you're very welcome to the Business Impact podcast, Julie.
1: Thank you very much, Emma. So I'm delighted to be here.
0: As I said, it's been a fascinating two weeks for those of us who are addicted to US politics, but there are some real, really serious issues coming down the tracks. And I know we're all very, very, very immersed in the pandemic, but climate change still out there, grows every year, more and more worrying. The the temperature is heating up. There's a lot of Good work being done, but there's also a lot of very significant and outsized challenges awaiting for us. And what I want to talk today, and one of the reasons we brought you on the podcast is to try and see you're coming from the world of finance and corporate finance. Can you bring those worlds together of that corporate finance world and just finance as a discipline and the climate piece as well? And you've been doing it successfully, merging them in your research. So How are things looking to you at this stage? I mean, we've got so many different schemes. We've got a lot of government plans. We've got a lot of companies doing things on their own individually. And of course, we've got, you know, Extinction Rebellion. A lot of the activist groups are very active. How do you think things are looking from a climate point of view at this stage?
1: Well, that's a very good and detailed question. So I'll do my very best to answer. So, um... Myself, like um, lots of other people, have been glued to the TV over the last couple of weeks looking at the US elections and news of uh, Joe Biden's probable win um, has been viewed as a positive one in the efforts to combat climate change. So the hope is that it will reverse four years of retreat on climate action. And the president-elect ran on a very ambitious platform that included $2 trillion on clean energy spending. And one of the promises he has made is to immediately rejoin the Paris Agreement. So that's a good first step, but it's unlikely to be enough. There are calls that, for example, he has to rebuild confidence in the scientific impartiality of the EPA, um, that he's gonna need to introduce policies to encourage green behavior. Um, and one issue that will be a potential sticking point is the disappointing performance of the Democrats in the Senate race. But overall the perception of the um, likely outcome of the election is a good one and um, is viewed positively for research uh, researchers into climate change like me. So I suppose we all agree that something has to be done, but the question is, what is it? So, environmental risk and climate change are definitely critical global concerns. They've been at the centre of public debate for a very long time. Uh, We see growing evidence of change in energy markets and a clear shift in mix of energy resources. So at the moment, we're in the midst of a transition from a fossil fuel-based system to one that embraces renewable energy technologies. But This is not going to be a cheap solution. And that's where I suppose finance uh, comes into it. It's not just finance (laughs) that is important. A multidisciplinary approach to this is absolutely essential. So oftentimes individual disciplines like my own, we approach things from our own individual bubble. But that's not going to work here. So climate scientists, engineers, computer scientists, computer behavior experts, economics, finance, they all need to get together to try and address some of these issues. So an example is the engineers can find solutions that are technically feasible, but the question then is, are they going to be commercially viable? Will consumers accept them? Will producers accept them? Is green investing also profit maximizing? So there are some of the issues that I try and address. We see that there are lots of Policies being implemented to try and sustain this transition towards a more sustainable energy system. Um, We need a worldwide reduction in carbon emissions, but there are some uh, sticking points that is going to make this really difficult to achieve. So, one of the sticking points that we need to consider is China and India. They're um, the two largest emerging economies, and they've experienced fast growth as well as a sharpening in population over the past several decades and the knock-on effect is that pushes up demand for energy significantly. So also it pushes up our use of fossil fuels. That trend is anticipated to slow down over the next couple of decades but conversely then that trend is going to increase in uh, the continent of Africa and again um, that's going to add to difficulties in managing CO2 emissions.
0: I suppose the interesting part is everyone, as you say yourself, is committed to getting to carbon zero at some point. You know, there's different targets depending on what country you look at. Some are more ambitious than others. But at the ground level where we all exist as consumers or people who work in organizations or taxpayers or citizens, do you you think that when you hear a catch-all cry that we will... Be getting to carbon zero like it, there's a lot going on in just that phrase alone isn't there? there there's there's going to be winners and losers in that switchover, and i suppose once there's winners and losers that's where the world of finance is the world is the kind of discipline that has to apportion out in, in strict financial terms who are the winners and losers going to be so do you believe that we can get there like first of all and how do you see that journey do you see it being very bumpy as we, we move along over the years
1: well, to answer your last question first, yes, I do feel that the transition is going to be very bumpy um, and there will be winners and losers. So um, the International Energy Agency's projections show that CO2 emissions from the energy sectors are going to have to decrease by 52% over the next 20 years to keep um, in line with requirements of the Paris Agreement. Governments have signed up to this Paris Agreement, and they are trying to abide um, by this. So in effect, you're talking about hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of investment required into the energy system. So that's um, a lot of financing that has to be attracted, and it's a lot of people that you need to get on board. So corporations traditionally used to view Uh, things that address environmental issues to be costly and against their goal of profit maximization. So we have to come up with some sort of solution to that. So is it possible to be both profit maximizing and um, environmentally friendly? And so there's some research going on there. The other um, thing that we tend to see is that individual consumers, while this younger generation are definitely more willing to pay to address the issues of climate change oftentimes the price is considered too high so how can we um, convince consumers that this is a, a good thing to do so there, in in a nutshell some of the things that we're looking at and do i think that we can get to zero probably not um, but we can do much better than we're doing now Um, in terms of moving away from
0: fossil fuels. And Julie, one of the issues that I know that you look at and and many others do as well is obviously a lot of people own assets that are carbon producing, whether that be anything from, you know, shares in an oil company to uh, a power station that's still producing a lot of carbon, burning, you know, coal in a furnace. There's just so many areas of life and the economy that are still carbon producing, and though all those assets are owned by somebody, um, yeah. I mean, how do you see that piece going? We need to write them down, obviously, so there's the accounting for them at a balance sheet level. But then there's also companies who hold business models may not be viable as we go forward. Are you, from your research, are you are you seeing organisations kind of accepting that and kind of gradually adjusting to that, or do you still think there's a bit of resistance to even kind of you know accepting that fate for some of these? Um, things are just not going to be part of our future.
1: This is talking about, you're in effect talking about uh, stranded assets. Yes. So, um, the, the need to move away from fossil fuels and how quickly might we achieve this. Um, so we know for a fact that the most influential factor that contributes to climate change is the large scale use of fossil fuels. So at the moment, renewables account for just under 10% of global electricity production. So we do have to move away. So we need the technologies and the policies to move away. But the challenge is that even though the supply of fossil fuels is finite, there are huge amounts of oil reserves, natural gas, and we have the technologies to extract them. And those technologies are continuing to improve. So that's making it really much more um, economical to produce and use those um fossil fuels, and they're actually really difficult to replace in order to achieve this all-renewable energy system. So governments are introducing policies to try and force firms to move away from this. So in terms of a stranded asset, it just means that these companies will have these resources, and if they become stranded, it means they once had value and produced income, but that they no longer or will. So if you're not able to use these anymore. So given the implementation of these new policies, well, there is a chance that what was once viewed as a hypothetical risk, that it's actually a very real risk now. So if these policies are implemented, the probability of stranded assets becomes higher. So the question is, what can we do? So we know that we need to move to renewables. In terms of the fossil fuel producers, Uh, They know that to avoid the stranded assets, they should probably be moving towards uh, renewables. But the proportion of their total capital expenditure by the largest of these oil and gas companies um, going towards low carbon endeavors at the moment represents less than 1% of investments. The question is, are they asleep at the wheel or are they, you know, just that confident that fossil fuels are not going to be replaced as We think they are. There's actually a very interesting article in the Financial Times by Alan Lively um, in February 2020 that highlights the potential cost of these stranded assets to these big oil and gas companies and depending on how aggressively governments choose to combat climate change that could be anywhere between $360 billion and $900 billion and the $900 billion actually represents a third of the current value of these companies. So if Indeed, these assets do become stranded assets that would be felt across the globe and represent one of the largest shifts in the allocation of capital that we've ever seen. So it, it is a question, but it's one that governments are starting to address, but the corporations seem to be a little bit slower to follow on and lots of Companies now and lots of NGOs have policies that they will not um, invest in fossil fuels. So now, the, the probability of the assets becoming stranded are becoming higher and higher.
0: That's going to be a fascinating one to watch. I mean, your, your own research, Julie, is, is, is equally interesting. You're looking a little bit at Ireland's energy components and, and where we source our energy from. Obviously, we've got a number of different sources a lot of them are carbon producing but we have a lot of renewables coming onto the uh, electricity grid as the years go on as well we're we're one of the better european countries i understand uh, in terms of getting those um, new sources on whether that be wind solar and other forms of renewable energy how how are we doing do you think from your own research Are, are we outperforming or are we kind of standard or are you optimistic about our ability to start gradually getting more and more renewables on there and taking away these uh, fossil fuel and um, burning in um, plants and so on as we kind of go over the next decade or so?
1: Yeah, um, I think we're, we're doing uh, pretty well. We're um, very good at um, producing wind energy and historically um, in the past that's really the only renewable energy technology that had um, policy supports in place to a- attract um, the investment. As you all know, Ireland isn't the sunshine capital of the world. Um, So solar um, to date has been um, cost prohibitive. And there hadn't been any uh, policy supports in terms of solar. But the government um, early this year, they unveiled a very ambitious climate action plan. Within that climate action plan, they've introduced um, the RESI, an auction support scheme, and the first auction took place in June, and solar actually became for the first time successful and will get policy support. So we expect to see an increase in solar on the system from virtually zero to a lot more. And that's really important because when we said before that you know transitioning away from fossil fuels is quite difficult, if you think about the various different renewables that we can put on the system, So wind energy is only produced when it's windy outside. Solar can only be produced um, when it's light outside. And technology has improved sufficiently that it doesn't actually need to be sunny. It just needs to be light. But also, so if we have wind and solar, they will produce energy at different times. So we'll be able to add more um, types of renewable onto the system. We're also um, looking a lot at the moment in Ireland um, at offshore wind, Um, so you may have heard the debate in the news about um, adding more onshore wind often comes with negative externalities so people may not like the look of them they might not like the noise so offshore wind is currently being assessed for its feasibility um, to add to the system in Ireland so overall things are looking up but we do need if we want to move completely away from fossil fuels. We do need to increase our knowledge um, and the technology needs to be developed in terms of storage and battery. So um, Ireland also, the government in the Climate Action Plan, is looking to electrify the um, transport system. So hopefully we can develop the infrastructure to increase an awful lot more electric vehicles on the system. When you're looking at adding more electric vehicles on the system, the question then becomes, Right. If you're driving an electric car, you're reducing emissions from the car. But when you're charging it, are those um, is what you're using to charge your electric vehicle coming from renewable energy um, sources? Because that's the only way that it's truly not adding um, to the emissions on the system. But all in all, the um, Climate Action Plan is a very ambitious, very comprehensive one. We just need to make sure we put the right policies um, in place to support it.
0: And Julie, we've had a discussion on this podcast on a number of occasions actually about what it means for ordinary households, um, family units and so on. And I know the climate plan does deal with that. In terms of getting a lot of um, household heat generation comes from whether it be oil burners or gas burners and all sorts of other things, coal fires even still around. You know, there's a big uh, debate to go on and a big issue there, isn't there, about renewing at the household level, making them more energy efficient. Is, is that something that you think we can get to good progress there as well? Or is that more concerning than the corporate side, which, you know, there, there's probably more progress has been made to date?
1: Well, there, there are two entirely different approaches, I suppose. So we really need to try and get everybody on board. But um, the truth of the matter is that we can develop very sophisticated models as researchers and we can arrive at these conclusions that investments into renewable te- energy technologies are, will be both environmentally beneficial and ultimately cost-effective in the long run. But if you consider from an individual customer's point of view, they think in the shorter term. Particularly, they have lots of different things to do and they have to um, balance and manage their finances. So sometimes when consumers consider paying an upfront premium, the upfront premium is just too much. Like if if you were to tell somebody that if they invested 15,000 euro today, that in 20 years time, that investment will have paid back. That's a very, very long time span to convince somebody that that upfront investment is worth it. So um, policies are important to try and encourage that. And um, the consumer behavioral guys, they are researching um, heavily into this to see how you can encourage consumers to uptake on these investments. It's also important to mention that um, from a consumer point of view, if they go to try and take out a loan for something that is perceived to be improving the environmental performance of um, their home. um, It's actually quite um, a lengthy process. And oftentimes, even that alone is enough to put off consumers um, to, you know, if it's difficult to secure financing to invest green. So like I said, I suppose it comes back to we have all these sophisticated models that tell us that, yes, it can add value. But it's, I suppose, in terms of how long before consumers see that benefit is what's really important.
0: Yeah. And I think there's probably something that would concern me is there's probably a bit of political danger in getting households to do these things. If we saw what happened with the, in France with the yellow vest movement, you know they tried to bring an extra road um, fuel taxes and it went down pretty badly. So it's probably in some ways easier to get the ESB to Re- reshape its energy portfolio that there's not much political risk necessarily there, there may be some employment losses but there's not necessarily huge political risk whereas the politicians try to get ordinary voters to make these what are you know big enough step changes that there's probably a, a bit more liability there political risk for them so that'll be interesting to watch how that unfolds over the next um, five or ten years and uh, julie the other thing i was hoping to ask you about was the energy alternatives you've mentioned um wind you've mentioned solar there has been some talk over the years about um uh, ocean um you know energy from the ocean of course we have copious amounts of it on the west coast um which has been tried to companies like wave bob and so on have tried to tap into the the, the wave energy sector do, do you see a, a ireland being pretty much a, a solar wind offering or do you think we can add a few other alternative energy sources into the mix
1: hopefully down the line, we can add some alternative energy sources into the mix. But what we tend to see is that energy sources that are in their infancy in terms of their technology is often very, very expensive. So even if something is a technological solution, it has to be commercially viable. It has to be economically feasible. And the earlier in its um, stage of development it is, the more uncertainty and risk there is in the future. So they become very, very expensive to invest in. Down the line, most uh, likely, but at the moment, we're just in the phase of kind of pricing those and seeing whether or not it's um, viable to invest in them. And one thing just to circle back to when you mentioned uh, political risk, I think um, political risk is actually one of the most important challenges that we face when we try to switch from this fossil fuel system to a renewable energy system. It's not just to the consumers. It's all around because um, politicians are trying to um, convince people that it's worth spending billions and billions and billions of investments that have big, huge upfront costs now, but don't actually pay off for some time in the future. Be very difficult to uh, sell to their voters. The political risk is really important in all of this area of research.
0: And, Julie, you've noticed uh, uh, from even the last few years the, the perception, the public perception of wind energy seems to be kind of waning a little bit. I know because I actually covered it at the time when wind energy was first introduced into Ireland and the turbines mm-hmm. went up across various locations. You know, it was pretty pretty widespread acceptance of them, social acceptance, but there does seem to be certainly my detection is that people are less happy with wind turbines being in their local community and so on. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about, isn't it? There's there is a kind of a growing resistance to to that particular form of renewable energy, whether it kind of persists or it's only in certain areas of the country, I don't know. But it certainly detect a little bit of a change there.
1: Yes. So um, there there is um, issues with noise pollution. People don't like how they look on the horizon. Also, they can have um, a negative impact on wildlife. So a community approach is a much better one to its community acceptance that you need. If we can identify commercially viable renewable energy technologies that don't come with this additional noise or danger to wildlife or impacting on the community, so there are um, social costs that should be factored in as well.
0: You you're, you attend, well, you certainly did before the pandemic, you attend a lot of conferences in this area, you're, you're really plugged into a lot of different networks, and you have a lot of research colleagues that you work closely with. I mean, you hear this constant term, greenwashing, 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 that a lot of this is, well, you know, it's, it's hard to even put what it is, but there's a certain artificiality to some companies when they make these very glossy declarations about what they're going to do. There's a lot of um, interest in this area academically. There's thousands of research in the the area. I mean, how convinced are you that companies and governments are really deadly serious when you come to this? Or are you a bit skeptical? I know you have one or two stories yourself about sort of greenwashing type incidents. So maybe you could tell tell our listeners a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So one of the concerns we have when we um, engage in any kind of environmental or climate research is... um, whether or not companies uh, undertake green endeavours, whether they are truly in order to address climate change or whether it's because they know that this generation now view climate change as really, really important. Are they just, in effect, saying that brands or goods are green or sustainable or eco-friendly? Is it just a marketing ploy or is it truly um, green? So in the past, an awful lot of what we saw was greenwashing, so it wasn't truly green. And that's because, like I said, corporations really view or certainly viewed anything to improve or voluntarily improve environmental performance as too costly. So from a firm's perspective, the only incentive to improve environmental performance is if there's economic and financial benefits to do that. So the traditional approach was to introduce penalties to force firms to comply with environmental regulations. But more recently, we're seeing evidence emerging that it is truly possible because stakeholders are becoming more environmentally aware, it is possible to be both um, profit maximizing and energy friendly. So um, a lot of that is to do with stakeholders and their influence. But if the younger generation are more prepared to pay a premium, this will give them power and influence over companies. So some examples I had, like you said, I go to a lot of conferences um, in the area of uh, environment and climate change. And I was actually at a week-long seminar in an Ivy League university in the United States. And the whole idea was to discuss and address the challenges of climate change. And every morning, a Hummer would be sent to the hotel to pick us up, to drive us to the location where the conference (laughs) was, even though it was a 10-minute walk. Wow. So and i said at the time why are you sending this ridiculously oversized vehicle to pick us up to drop us um, to a climate change talk and they said oh well we take it very seriously but we like big cars you're you're not going to get people to you know um reduce the size of their cars so then you have to think well how will we reach these emission targets so um at the same event A very large company that produces aluminum was there and they said, absolutely, they cannot force people to change their behavior and use smaller cars. So they were trying to produce lighter bodies to to get around that. So oftentimes you do see this this kind of behavior happening and people really don't see the irony of it at times.
0: Um, yeah it, it, the symbolism is important it's not just you know a lot of people say well what can one person do but it, it's it's if we if we all do something <laughs> and all of those pieces add up collectively and that's from the smallest firm right up to the giant multinational corporation now, that's an extraordinary conference uh, yeah. <laughs> i'd love yeah. to know it it who was they actually,
1: <laughs> it, was, it was actually very beneficial other than the, other than that uh kind of amusing story we've we've also seen that um recently some very 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 um prominent corporations have made these uh, grand public gestures towards green causes and oftentimes that's to cover up their less than brilliant environmental record um but the good thing is now um the social media generation are plugged into things. So that doesn't work as much as it used to. That kind of greenwashing is more easy to identify than um, when you see things labeled as eco-friendly or sustainable or anything like that. Is it truly, or are they just knowing that by adding this label they can add a premium?
0: And what I find interesting, what you're saying, Julie is you mentioned earlier how little of the capital expenditure the big um, fossil fuel companies is actually going into renewables despite the, the endless press releases and um, social media campaigns they put on. So a lot of the, the truth here is hidden in the financial statements and the annual reports and the balance sheets. So a lot of it's there, not necessarily broadcast very widely, but it, it's, it's a, the financial information, people might think it's dry and desiccated, but actually it holds a lot of secrets about what these companies are really doing.
1: Companies in general are taking because they're starting to see evidence that stakeholders, so for example, their employees, their shareholders, their creditors, customers will punish them um, if they don't um, behave in a more environmentally friendly um, way. Um, so it, they are beginning to address these issues more seriously than they did in the past. So things like CSO are taking much more seriously seriously than they than they were in the past but um ideally instead of either punishing companies for not being environmentally um friendly or um, you know giving policy supports that might be too that are costly so policy supports are costly if we can change i suppose if stakeholders are changing the way that they think well, then they will use that influence to force firms so it will become not profitable for them not to engage in good esg practices so that's what we're, we're hoping to see over time because um if they voluntarily improve as opposed to force being improve their behavior that will be a benefit to society all around
0: okay so incentives work ultimately that's what you're, you're saying there that's the message let's um let's come back and talk to you again in a year or two and see where we're at we'll also keep an eye on President-elect Biden and how he's getting on with his commitments to the environment. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a fascinating journey.
1: Thank you very much for
0: having me.